Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Aaron King with Coach Bob King. And today we will be talking about corrections because there's a lot of terms we use in a lot of the, the different blogs and newsletters and different things that I thought it would be good for us to expand a little bit on. And we call them coaching cues. And so what a coaching cue is, is essentially translating a correction so that a young athlete or anyone can apply it quickly. So there's a lot of simple uh, terms we use that sound silly, but there's a technical background to them. There's a purpose. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. So Coach King, today, let's start at the top and work down. So uh, before we go, I want to kind of tie this back to the last podcast about what you look for when someone first comes in when you say go and and we're looking for the thing so just at least start with the evaluation and then we'll break into the coaching cues when they walk in the door and we start the warm-up and, and get them moving into speed training we want to see really a, just a, a body moving down a line and so what i look for is if stuff's moving outside the line or the first of all the frame of the body which is you know draw a line of your shoulders straight down your arms is Anything going outside of the frame of the body that's not supposed to because in the back track of the arm, the elbow may swing outside a little bit. But if there's excess movement, because if you look at something and go, wait a minute, that doesn't look right. Well, we go find out what doesn't look right. Can be the head, can be the shoulder movement, arm, a lot of, a lot of options. So what we'll end up doing is just looking for excess movement. More is not better. And uh, just a side note that Many young athletes kill themselves running because they're working so hard to try to run fast. They feel like they're running fast with all the energy they're exerting, but they're really fighting themselves. So we're looking for that. Where's all that extra movement coming from? That's the starting point. All right. So starting at the top and working down, we come in. Head. What are the common head uh, errors you see? Maybe moving side to side, looking too stiff, looking up, looking down. What are the? What do? What do you see? <laughs> And then how do you correct it? Well, we, now we have the chicken and the egg. So is it the forehead or the chin? Uh, so a lot of times the forehead is up, their chin's way up and forward, everything is up. So uh, what that does, it, it starts to, the body follows the head by the way. So if my head starts going up, my shoulders are gonna go back and now I'm fighting myself when I'm trying to go forward. So the, the chin is something to look at since it's so prominent, you can always tell when the chin is up too much and that's, that's really very common. The other second most common thing is just <laughs> trying to get the head to be helpful with speed development in other words trying to go from zero to start running fast the head you know, does a lot of things it doesn't matter if it goes side to side up and down uh, just ducks you know duck their chin so the chin's a great tell of where everything is is headed so uh, if it's neutral which when you stand and you're looking straight ahead like you're looking at a camera for a picture the chin doesn't go anywhere. It just sits there. Your head has two functions. Your head is for looking and breathing. That is it. Your head cannot help you run faster. So what we have to do, where's that chin? What can we do to help so that it doesn't move? It only can get in the way. And so what are some corrections, coaching cues, or gadgets you use with younger athletes uh, to, to correct any anything? It, it goes to the extremes so somewhat. So if you have these extreme movements, we will tell them to do other things that are extreme to fix it. So uh, probably the most famous thing we do, uh, we call it uh, Ray Charles technology. So we have these sunglasses, cheap sunglasses that we, we blacked out with, with electrician's tape and so you cannot see. And so what we'll do is put them down over the nose, a little lower so that if your chin is too high, then you have to tilt your chin down and look over the top of the glasses to see where you're 
going. And that forces you to learn how to run with your chin down. So that way we can, we can, you, you want to tell them what to do, of course, but if they can't do it, telling them more or in the coaching world, a lot of times yelling louder is like, it's going to make it so they can, Oh, you're yelling louder. Now I get it. It doesn't work like that. So what we'll do is have that, uh, sunglasses to get the chin down so they can repetitively keep their chin down not just one time so if you say now put your chin down okay that's it now what you're standing there so when you run the first thing that's going to happen is what they're used to so the sunglasses help them look over the top of their frames and keep their chin in position it's unnatural to them but remember this what you start out with is your normal we're trying to create a new normal so just tell the athlete like if it feels stupid when you're doing it, you're probably doing it right. So that's the way we approach uh, all of our drills. All right, now moving down, uh, I guess we'll just skip the neck and go right into the shoulders because that's probably about the same thing. What do we see? Shrugging? What do we, what do we see with uh, shoulders? Well, we see a lot of, and it's my favorite thing because everybody understands the washer machine. And so that means when they're running, their shoulders are just going front to back, front to back. And uh, yeah, the shrugging is definitely part of it because uh, uh, let me just add this in real quick before we get there. But the spine is a very important part of it. But when you say uh, run tall, which is a, a coaching phrase, run tall, first thing they want to do is pick up their chin or shrug their shoulders. So what we'll have to do is get the, well, it, the shoulder problems in the arms. So you'll understand this. If you see the problem, what's the solution? If their shoulders are doing the washing machine wiggle, then it's probably because improper or lack of arm movement. So that's where you can typically fix it. So one of the drills, since the shoulders are just fixed on the, on the body, the torso, the arms are a key. So what we'll do is we'll have a drill we call big arms. And so what we do is we tell them to pull their elbow back and put their thumb in their belt loop. That keeps the hand at the proper height, but their arm is going to swing behind them more than normal. But if they go forward with their big arm swing, they have to keep their shoulders still. Then we start slowing them down and give them other tools to play with. But the shoulder swing, uh, a droopy shoulders uh, is a spine issue. See, so you have to know where the connection is. So if, they're, if they demonstrate very poor posture in the shoulders, it's usually the spine. And we tell them, look, I'm going to just take a glass of ice water and pour it down your back and you're going to get straight. And you don't usually have to do that because they understand that concept. So the shoulders are tricky because the arms impact the shoulders and the spine impacts the shoulders and all three are separate. All right. Coming off the shoulders now, we have the arms. Now, this one's probably the most uh, – we'll be here for a little while. So uh, what, what are some common mistakes we see with the arms? Uh, the first most common one is the drummer. You, you don't even see them using their arms. Your elbow doesn't move, but their hands are drumming. And so their hands are just moving up and down drumming, and that's the first problem we usually see. Now, it's arms, but we have to kind of keep this all connected because it is connected. The hands impact what the arms will do. And so what you want to make sure is this wrist stays what's called neutral it's flat uh, if they do this which I'm gonna go right into this we see this in um, a lot of oh, let's say middle school high school soccer players they cock their wrist and when they do that because they're running slow they just have their hands at their side if your wrist is cocked like this your elbow will travel out and so you get uh, you're not getting front to back you're getting in and out and so that's a very common mistake that we have to fix we use a giant rubber band or we'll take a TheraBand and make a big loop and put it in the crook of the thumb and around the elbow because if your elbow straightens out, it'll come off. And if your hand does that, you'll feel it. So what you want to do 
is just make sure the hand stays normal. Stand with your arms straight at your side, look down at your hands, that's it. Bend your elbows and run. So if you just stand in a mirror, look down at your arms, uh, hands when your arms are straight, you'll see your fingers slightly curl in, your wrist is straight, bend your elbow, elbow, elbow back, hand up. That's about the end of that story. But it's so difficult, if they are not doing it normally, then you have to create a new normal. All right, so continuing on the arms, we have, uh, let's say, um, bending the the straightening the arms on the way back yeah the um there's a couple of things i see in um uh you know the big leagues of track and field especially is that that arm swing opens up in the back and anything that opens up takes time to recover and so uh if you look at good video or good pictures which i have a bunch of these so the evidence is there the guys that, and the women that are running well and fast, their elbow is almost at the height of their shoulder in the backswing, and I'm talking about world-class athletes, so it gives you f something to work with. They have their elbow almost to the shoulder height at high speed, and their hand is straight down. That means their arm's at 90 degrees. So if their elbow is up to their shoulder, the hand is down, elbow's at 90. It's not at 180 or 140 or almost straight. That way it can recover quickly to the front. And at the front, it's gonna close up a wide range of degrees there. I'm just gonna randomly say 45 because that's a pretty safe uh, folding angle, but there's a wide range of degrees there. So don't, don't worry about 45, just don't hit yourself in the chin because you've overdone it. So what we wanna do is just uh, elbow back, elbow back, not the hand. The hand is along for the ride. Like the head, the hand cannot make you run faster. It can only make you run slower. All right, before we move on, uh, I'm gonna just gonna point out a drill and maybe you can tell me where you use it, but the whole no arms, is that more for upper body, trunk spine, or is that a knee drive thing? The, uh, we have a drill where we run with no arms and it's an incredibly um, valuable drill for the shoulders because if you put your arms behind your back and hold your wrist and when you run, because you do not have your shoulders to counterbalance you or develop speed, your shoulders will do the most improper thing you don't want them to do. We allow that, we just tell the athlete, look, when you, when you run, your shoulders are gonna wiggle, don't worry about it, let that happen. We come back, we set a cone out, run halfway, no arms. When you get to the cone, drop your arms and use them. Come back, all right, what'd y'all notice? Two things, number one, they all know they sped up because the arms and legs are connected, no surprise. The second thing is that the, arm, the shoulders quit wiggling when the arms got involved. So that's, here's the point. We're not doing a drill just to do a drill. They can see it and feel it. So they know that now I get it. So if I swing my arms, my shoulders stay still. And not only that, I speed up. So we give them uh, the physical sensation of what the drill is supposed to do so they can own it. And while, while we're on, on this topic, I have another kind of tangent, but there's two things I see in media, in the, the world, the pop culture we have here in America. One, whenever you see stock photography of any sort of sport ad it could be a new yoga pants that are out but you see someone starting running whatever and their arm is completely straight out extended the other thing that i want to touch on maybe you can kind of tell me your thoughts on both of these is 
the sprinting technique in movies <laughs> like <laughs> The Matrix. <laughs> so just the overly stiff and f- the arm coming out front. So maybe break um, down those two things. I mean, we kind of did, but, you know. Okay, let's call that um, poetic license, artistic. Uh, it looks good. I mean, it looks athletic, sort of. It, it has a visual. Right. You know, if it's I visual. In, if I went in as a consultant, I'd last about five minutes because I'd say, stop, quit doing all of that. And the director would go, no, we have to do that. That we have to have uh, a visual involved here, so it's I'm not that guy. So um, just so you'll understand, when you see that on TV and in the movies and the Matrix, that's that's dramatic because you have a lot of you have a big arm swing, you have a lot of movement. This guy must really be getting it to go uh, do all that movement. That's all that is. It's strictly a visual. So if, if there's a race, I want to race that guy because I know I can win. And uh, anything else you see that's not what I'm saying in the movies is simply for cinemat- cinematography, uh, kinematic effect, or whatever you want to call it. So it's a, uh, it's a gimmick. And some people maybe it'll make them faster. So who knows? Well, you know, I don't know. The, I don't know Hollywood or whatever. But I, I assume a lot of the, you know, a lot of them need a coaching of some kind. So anything is better than zero. So. It, it does look cinematic. All right. Is there anything? Is there anything in the hips uh, with running, or is that more of a, a back to the biomechanics and flexibility and things? You know, that that's a tricky thing because the hips. No pun intended, but they're really along for the ride, um, you know, because they sit on top of the femur and the legs carry them, and and then the hips are carrying the spine, and so you know if somebody says, well, you know, I've, and this is a, a, a real uh, situation, uh, their hips are too low. That's going to be in the legs because their foot strikes wrong, uh, flexion in the knee is too much, and what's what we call the chair position. If you're not familiar with the chair position, your your spine is pretty much perpendicular, your thigh is is parallel and then your femur i mean your uh, tibia is straight down and so it just is a perfect chair because they don't have the lean in the shoulders uh, they don't have the extension in the in the hips which is the leg uh, extension on the ground it's all connected to the point where the hips are kind of the fulcrum the engine the transmission between the upper body and the lower body you know that that's i I don't know if this is a tangent or not, but it's connected. So we might as well talk about things that are connected. But I, the, I guess the power explosive training that folks like to do in the weight room. And I was talking to someone about this the other day, how there's, there's uh, with, with weight training, especially in college programs, there's so much quad dominant training, mm-hmm. squat, yes. squat, squat. And so then the balance is, well, let's work on your hamstrings. Let's work on your hips. But they do this in the weight room. Mm-hmm they're missing the high speed training. And so I think maybe talk about that correction from like, maybe not just the coaching cue, but just the thought process of how you approach the, uh, the balances on the front side and the back side of the body in your training. Okay, let me see if I have a short answer. <laughs> well, the, the problem is, um, uh, this is another... We Maybe we just make before. this a whole other well, podcast, too. You've alluded to this in other conversations about how much is enough. And that's the problem. I don't know. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, and, and just all respect to every strength coach out there, but some guys are building monuments to themselves when they design programs. You know, look how much we squat, bench, clean, etc. Well, how much do you need to bench, squat, and clean? And I will guarantee anybody that we do less in our program than anybody on the planet. We do less squats, less cleans. We do everything, you might say, but we don't do it to the extent. For example, in our summer program, we we have a we squat one on Friday. We squat one day a week. 
or do we? Because on uh, Olympic Day, which is Wednesday for us, we're doing the Olympics. Well, what is that? It's a front squat. 90% of the time, it's a front squat. We may or may not go deep, but we are doing a front squat with the hang cleans and power cleans. So it doesn't have to be a squat on the back deep every time because the movement is explosive and fast. And let me just add this in here. The plyometric explosive training we do is once a week, or is it? Because the Olympics are an explosive movement. The specific explosive movements end up being with the squats on Friday. Why do we do that? What is squatting? Squatting is a strong, slow movement. What are plyometrics? An explosive, fast movement. By combining them, and we do them toward the end of our training on that day, we want to remind the body how to be fast. We want the last thing the body did to be fast and explosive while the squats are settling in. This means that we think two days a week of the, the heavy lift on the squats and the explosives is enough. Not every day. So that answers my own, own question of how much is enough. Two days a week is fine. Why? You're doing something every day. So it's not like you do something on Friday, don't do it again until next Friday. No, because in our program six days a week, we are doing something on a regular basis. Most of it centered around speed. And we've had our guys, we've had four, three guys, we've had big verticals, and we have Division One pro guys. So it works. All right, now back to the coaching cues on the, on the running technique. We're at the knees, uh, so knee drive is probably, probably, or maybe we could combine knee drive, uh, maybe uh, cycling, uh, you know, getting the heel up and around, however you want to break down the mm. bottom half of the body. Well, yeah, that's a great way to put it. The bottom half of the body, you know, you talk about one thing, you can't help the other. So um, I'm going to collect this real quick. So if I say pick up your knees, uh, you won't be able to see it here, but if I, if you stand and just I say pick up your knee, you're you're going to find that when you pick your knee up, your foot's hanging right down below you. Well, we have good and bad because your knee's up now where it's supposed to be. Now your foot's hanging down where it's not supposed to be. Now if you stand and I say pick up your heel, pick your heel straight up under your butt, your knee will come up and forward to the height that it needs to be when you run. So you know, it's tomato, tomato, chicken and the egg, what's first here? Well, I go to the heel for the knee because um, now I'm going to say the, the footnote is if, if it's somebody that's younger and has a slower time connecting all this, I will say pick your knees up because they understand that almost immediately because everybody can stand and walk and march. So marching is a good way to say, all right, pick your knees up. Now run and pick your knees up. Uh, we may have to deal with the heel later, but we got to get the knees up first. If the, if the heel comes up, the knee comes up. The knee comes up, the heel comes up. Heel placement is the issue. All right, so what are some of the drills we're doing for that? Um, we have a nice little thing. Everybody knows, okay, let me, let me get this straight right off the bat. Heels to butt and high knees are critically important to do correctly. Now, heels to butt means you bring your heel to your butt, your knee stays down. Your knee does not come forward and your heel goes to your butt. You'll see them if you're not careful or you're not paying attention, that heel swing outside, it'll leave the mark. Instead of going up and down in a line, it'll, it'll travel. So you have to watch for that. Practice makes permanent, so don't be doing the wrong thing over and over. So the heel to butt, knee down, heels to the butt. The partner to that is the high knees. 
Heels to butt is behind the butt. High knees is the heel under the butt. As I just mentioned, if you go heel up under your butt, your knee is going to come to the correct height. And then both of them have the same coaching cue when they're in motion. That is light steps, lots of touches. Light steps, lots of touches. That's five words, and that's about as long as it's going to go. And it's if you need just one phrase, one word for high knees and, and uh, uh, heels to butt, it's tap, 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 tap. Do not pound the ground. If you can hear them coming, they're not doing it right. So you want to tell them to tap, tap, tap. That's what you do with the ground. Light steps, lots of touches. All right, and then finally going on down with the heel, ankle, I guess you could say some dorsiflex, all the different things that folks look for. Uh, this will be attached to what you just said. Yeah. But uh, what are some things that you see? Maybe legs swinging out. What, what are the what are the errors and then the corrections? Yes, and so uh, the coaching phrase for what you just said is knee up, heel up, toe up. That's the three things that coaches like to say, and it's correct. Knee up, heel up, toe up, which is everything we're talking about. Now, the hardest of all those three is the toe up, dorsiflexion, because you have to bring that toe up. And it's very difficult to to teach, much less be able to just say and do it. And so what happens is, if just so you'll know what to look for, uh, let me let me get this out of the way. Heel strike's easy. If you're landing on your heels, you just say, get up on the ball of your foot. You can say, get on your toes, but you know I hope everybody knows that's technically not correct. It's the ball of the foot, but to communicate, if you're on the heel, get on your toes, and that'll get their heel up. But to get their toe up, what you end up having to do are individual drills to where we call them uh, their ankle flips, where you lock your knees and you swing your foot front, your leg front to back and pick your toe up and bounce off your off the ball of your foot. To go to uh, the drills that King Sports Training does is we have acquired a large number of steel-toed work shoes, and so they're they're the height of any regular shoe but they have a steel toe in them, which adds weight to the front end of the shoe, which is out ahead of the toe. So it's not heavy, but it gets heavy. And so if you do not pick your toe up, you will not stay upright. So it has turned out to be a windfall for us in our training development to run with a steel toed shoe on. And even if they don't have that problem, uh, the extra weight becomes a nice little over, overweighted speed training device we use with our more advanced athletes. So it is very difficult. But another way to do it stationary-wise is just have them stand and pick their knee up a little way off the ground and, and work the ankle up and down so they can activate the, the dorsiflexion on their own and know what that toe-up means. All right, and then I want to kind of finally come back to what you see in the training programs. Folks will notice a lot of hurdle and ladder drills. I mean, that's what a lot of our video, uh, views on YouTube are. Um, why we do that so much where it fits and what it's correcting at every level. Yes, uh, the hurdles and ladders. Um, here's the thing. If I tell somebody to run fast and they're not, and then I say run faster and they run a little bit faster, and if I yell run faster and they run a little bit faster, I'm out of ideas. And so uh, what happened in the very beginning of this program, which goes way back when we were making hurdles out of PVC pipe, is that well, they've mastered this. And so the hurdles and ladders are, number one, a phenomenal training device for beginners. Number two, I use the ladder in half or full form as part of my extended warm-up, we call it, and it just gets the feet firing. 
And we say in our coaching cue for the ladder is teach the feet because we have so many different patterns. Everybody's got patterns. YouTube is full of ladder patterns. But if you're not emphasizing teach the feet, quick and light, that's, that's speed. And so if the athlete, you know, I don't care who they are, some of these athletes struggle if they've not done the ladder before. But once they master it, we've added devices to it to enhance it, whether it's carrying a medicine ball, cables. We have a whole menu of items we've done with the ladder and taking that to the hurdles. We use the cable on the hurdles. Uh, we use uh, uh, hand weights on the hurdles. So we've done things and changed the um, stride pattern on the hurdles. Then we got to where we created a hurdle ladder alley and a hurdle ladder straightaway where we run through the hurdles or it doesn't matter which one's first, we go both ways. Run through the ladder, sprint 10 yards into the hurdles and come back. Or we sprint half a ladder, come down the middle of the ladder between the hurdles, turn and go down the hurdles so we have a hurdle ladder alley. So we create foot patterns that are very different. So you go from a ladder to a sprint to a hurdle, your foot pattern changes, your neuromuscular system, you have to be in, you have to be athletic. So we have done things to advance just a pattern of laying out the hurdles and ladders and saying go. We have advanced it significantly. And what's some of the why behind that? Because I think you said before, like with the speed brakes and constraining and then opening up, what's some of the why behind why you continue to do it um, in, in for every level again? Well, just to say that's a great question because this is what we discovered. If you pay attention when you're coaching, here's what you see. You see a lot of things. Uh, because of what I do in my business, like in uh, uh, we call June and July the same as the mall between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And that's when everybody comes in and we are busy. But what we noticed over the years, uh, and it doesn't matter if, you know, if we send off, and I, I, it doesn't matter, basketball, tennis, baseball, what happens when they go to their season um, in sport for an extended period of time and they come back, they have forgotten how to run. Now, it's not that they're slow, but it's not, but they just really, it's like, <laughs> have you ever done this before? Because they run a little, little stiff, a little awkward. Now, typically it takes like the first session to get the dust off and get their, their juices flowing, the grease pumping, and you have to reteach. You have to you know, relearn kind of stuff you forgot because we call it sports posture. We teach everybody how to be a sprinter because if you, tr if you learn how to be a sprinter, you can train fast. If you can train fast, you'll go back into your sport faster. Then when you come back, we start it over. It takes about a day to get it relearned or remembered and off we go and we add enhancements because the body gets bored and the mind gets bored. So we have to do things to challenge that and that's where we've done a good job, I think, with our speed training creativity. All right, well, I think we just covered a lot. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I'm hoping that this answers a lot of questions that folks have uh, because there's so many isolated issues that coaches and parents have on trying to correct something. And when, when we're trying to present a program design and we say everything's connected in athletic development, it's often hard to understand where things fit. And so we want to break down components so that you can apply this to your training program. But what I think you'll find is that the more you do general speed training, the more you do general flexibility and then strength, and you do all those things in balance, the more you'll find that these isolated deficiencies just magically aren't a deficiency anymore. And I've found that to be true with myself, with different athletes. And so getting too much in the weeds or the whole can't see the forest for the trees is, is very uh, common. And so 
Uh, we're going to keep trying to break things out and solve uh, individual problems as they come up. But again, that's why we have complete speed training programs, available courses, and all this educational resources. So you can uh, apply it where you think that you need to. And then we have more if you need it. So uh, anything in closing before we wrap it up here? No, we're good. I think if you'll listen and pay attention, you'll get a lot out of it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today for a little bit longer than we normally go, but I wanted to break it all down. I'm Aaron King. You can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and all those things at Deep Snap. And then Coach Bob King is at Coach Bob King on Instagram, TikTok. Definitely putting all this content on TikTok, the short form, getting the answers out there, and then, of course, YouTube. So if you have any questions for us, visit kingsportstraining.com. we got the training programs there, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.